good morning and welcome to church. It's great to see you. My name's Deborah Benstead and I'm one of the ministers here at St Matthew's Manly and we're streaming live from the Corso. We can't be together in person, but we can be together in spirit as we praise him, as we pray to him, and as we hear from his word. It says in Philippians, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what we're going to do together now. I encourage you to sing out loud and to praise Jesus as we join together in our first hymn together. Again, if you've just joined us, as I said, my name's Deborah, one of the women's ministers here at the Corso in Manly, where we're live streaming. Many of you already said hello in the chat. In fact, there's so many have you, of you have said hello today that I can't even read it all out or we'd be here 
for a good part of the morning, but I can tell you that Kathy and Brenda and Jean and Virginia were here before I even got here. So it's nice to see you and it's nice to see the rest of you and thanks for saying hello and I see we're even joined by a cat today. So that's nice, Jane, to know that your cat's there with you as well. So we're going to today join together in praising the Lord, join together in hearing from his word. If you know anyone that's having trouble joining this live stream, please let us know in the office or if you have trouble in the chat, please let us know and we'll get, do our best to help you. We're going to be joined by Margaret today as she reads the scriptures to us and Scott is going to bring us our final message from the One Another series and Bruce is going to lead us later as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So I encourage you now, if you're going to join us for the Lord's Supper, to please get some bread and wine or juice, whatever you have there ready for later on in the service. But before we pray together, there are a few things coming up to share with you. As always, if you're joining us for the first time or if you just want to get in touch, please fill in the Connect card. You'll find the um, Connect card details in the description at the bottom of the video. Also, if there's anything we can do, get in touch. If you have any needs, please get in touch with us. Ring the office. As I said, it's our last message in the One Day uh, One Another series. And as we head into the school holidays, we've got two messages of encouragement coming up. Next week, it's a word of encouragement from Suzanne and myself. And the week after that, a song of encouragement from Dave, who will bring some great music accompanied by a short message from Scott. We're going to join together to pray now. First of all, we're going to join together in an affirmation of faith, stating the things that we believe about God, about the present, past and the future in the Lord. After that, I'll lead us in a time of prayer. So please now join me in the Apostles' Creed and answer this question, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are the joy of loving hearts, the fount of life. You are our light. You are the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, and yet you love and care for us, your children. Our restless spirits long for you, and we thank and praise you that as we approach you with our prayers, you hear us and you answer. We pray for our world. Lord God, you set it on its foundations, but we see it now groaning as it waits for the renewal of all things. Father, we know we're not responsible for all fires, floods or extreme weather events, but we know too that we have abused the environment. Forgive us 
and give us the wisdom and the will to play our part in caring for your creation. For our country, we pray that state and local leaders would have unity. We pray that we are all in this together, that your spirit would lead them to policies that protect and equip people to both help themselves and help each other. We pray too, Lord, for our community. We continue to pray for healthcare workers and teachers and students that you would protect, sustain and equip them. And we particularly pray that you would bless those who call on your name so that they would experience the flow of your spirit to both meet their own needs and enable them to be a channel of blessing to those around them. Father, we bring before you the isolated, the lonely, and those who are trapped in situations of abuse during lockdown. Lord, show each of us how best to be the part of your loving hands to help those in need. And we pray as we prepare to come out of lockdown in a few weeks, that you would give loving wisdom to those who will be making decisions on how we do that here at St Matthew's. And Father, now we bring before you in our own hearts, our own needs, and the needs of those that are most pressing for us. Father, we bring before you our mission partners for prayer this week, David and Leonie Painter in Cambodia. We thank you for the opportunities that have arisen for them to serve, particularly as they encourage many of the Cambodian Christian community to grow in their understanding of the Bible. We pray for the Cambodian churches, unable to meet and facing significant depletion of resources. Lord, provide them with all they need and provide Dave, Leonie and their children with a way to return home for their leave. Dear Father, it says in Chronicles that your eyes range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that's us, Lord, fully committed to you and trusting you that as our loving and heavenly Father, you hear and answer our prayers because we come in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. We're going to join together now in a hymn.
great things he has done indeed. And we have Margaret here with us today. Welcome, Margaret. Margaret's going to read the Bible for us. But before you do, Margaret, I've got a question for you, as we do every week for everybody that comes in here. So if you do come in here, that's the hot seat thing. You need to answer a question. The seat is hot. <laughs> that's right. So the question for you today is, what's something that has encouraged you in this One Another series as you think back over the messages that you've heard? Okay, so thinking, thinking back, I think week two, um, which was Bruce in teaching ad and admonishing, and he was talking about mental health and the power that God's word has. And Psalm 46 verse 10 resonated, be still and know that I am God. And as I think about God, all that anxiety that I have, yes, just dissipates as I think about his character. And so another verse was Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. And in verse 7, it says, the promise, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that was very encouraging, those verses to hold on to, God's power in his word and claiming his promises. And then you stop wallowing in your own self-pity and you begin to worship God and then you're able to look out. And that's when there was a challenge from Scott in the first sermon, which was a throwaway line of the challenge of acts of thoughtfulness to make the day easier. And that, yes, because I thought I often have acts of unthoughtfulness that make the day harder. So... That has been a challenge to be thoughtful in my actions. Thanks for that, Margaret. Well, I'll tell you, Scott has another challenge for us today. So he's going to speak with, uh, to us about forgiveness. So I'm going to leave you to read that scripture to prepare us and look forward to hearing Scott's challenge today. Brilliant. Okay, if you'd like to open your Bibles up to Colossians 3, and we're reading, or I'm reading, no, we're all reading, verses 5 to 14. So while you open your Bibles, I'll just fill you in on the background. So Paul's writing to the Christians at Colossae, and he's just encouraged them to set their minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he continues in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Scott, one of the ministers here. Thanks so much to Margaret for reading for us. Keep your Bibles open to Colossians 3. Uh, as you do that, I'm going to pray and then we'll get underway. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Help us to be doers of it, especially in this area of forgiveness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I don't think I was bullied much as a kid, although I do remember getting bullied by a bigger boy in the change rooms at our school swimming lessons. And it must have been that same bigger boy who had a go at me when I walked to my best friend's home one afternoon after school. I don't remember any details of the incident, but I remember him calling my friend's house, speaking to my friend's mum, then asking to speak to me to apologise. And it only occurred to me recently how unlikely that was so unlikely that it cannot have come from the bigger kid himself. I mean, there's no way that a bully would have the self-awareness to know that he was a bully, then to have the courage to call a grown-up uh, to speak to a kid to apologise. So I think that my friend's mum and the bully's mum must have conspired to make that happen, just too unlikely on reflection. But it's one of the few times I can remember apology and forgiveness in my whole life, uh, outside, of course, my own marriage, and it occurred to me how strange it is for people of Christian faith whose centerpiece is forgiveness from God to experience forgiveness from others and with others. You, you would think that we would offer it, we would extend it, we would ask for it from one another way more often is all I'm saying. I mean, you remember that line in the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, a prayer that many of us would say on a weekly, if not a daily basis, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's just so central to our belief as Christians. I'm a bit surprised when I think about it, how rare it is in our experience, and perhaps you are too. Well, that's what we're thinking about today as we round out our One Another series. And the theme verse of the day is Colossians 3 verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And because it's forgive one another, we won't be thinking so much about God's forgiveness as what it means to forgive each other. So what is forgiveness? Are there any limitations to forgiveness? How might we go about it? And what's at stake if we don't forgive one another? So there's lots to think about. And uh, some of it might be very painful, to be honest, but none of it is unimportant. So firstly, what is forgiveness if we were to define it or to boil it down to its irreducible minimum? Some would say it means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards somebody for an offence they've committed against you. Others say, well, it's less about feelings, it's more about the cancellation of a debt, something more decisive, something more action-oriented. And I wonder if it's a um, combination of both of these ideas. Uh, Tim Keller puts it like this. Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from somebody who has harmed you. Though you have been wronged 
or at least you think you have, you voluntarily hand over your right to seek revenge or receive repayment or in some way to get payback, to get even, to square the ledger. And that actually means you voluntarily take that loss upon yourself because you're choosing to not get even. And in some sense, that means you're choosing to lose. I mean, forgiveness can sound very noble, but basically you're deciding to suffer a loss. It might be a loss of money that you don't recover. It might be a loss of reputation, uh, a lost opportunity, a damaged relationship, a hurt body, disturbed happiness or peace. I mean, Colossians 3 verse 13 there talks about forgiving grievances. So it, it might have been something that caused you great grief, loss or grief. And normally when humans experience loss or grief or damage or harm, we want payback or revenge. Or at the very least, we want to maintain our right to hold a grudge against the person who has harmed us. We want to hate them in our heart. We want something bad to happen to them so they know what it feels like. But when we say forgiving one another, we are saying, and I really think it's best said aloud, I relinquish my right to all that. I refuse to hurt the person who hurt me directly. I will not inflict pain upon them. I do not seek revenge. I will not punish them aggressively or even passive aggressively. I will not slander them before others. You can see there in Colossians 3 verse 8, it describes slander as something that belonged to our old ways, our earthly nature, something we must rid ourselves of when we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of God. When we forgive one another, not only do we refuse to hurt that person directly with revenge or indirectly via sneaky slander and gossip and so on, we even refuse to harbour ill will against them in our hearts. I remember when I was a youth minister, I found myself replaying conflicts and difficult conversations with parents in my head as I mowed the lawn. I mean, it's so strange. Up and down went the mower. And over and over went the mind. And it meant that I kept that conflict fresh. It meant I could remain actively hostile towards them. It really meant that I hadn't forgiven them. And so that's the nature of forgiveness. It costs and it hurts. That's why in the Old Testament, when forgiveness is received from God, it's regarded with awe and wonder. It's it's amazing thing. And that might also be why it's less common, even in our circles than you might naturally guess or imagine. Well, before we uh, move on to thinking about how we might go about uh, forgiving one another, we just need to pause to consider what forgiveness is not. I mean, we've just seen what forgiveness is, but what is it not? In other words, uh, are there limitations to forgiveness as we've just described, and what might they be? Well, firstly, forgiveness does not destroy our memory of the pain inflicted or the emotions that attach to that memory. When you have been wronged, you can release your right to payback. You can avoid slandering that person's reputation, even in a subtle way. You can refuse to harbor ill will towards them. You can even replace that with prayers for their good, but that still does not mean that you will necessarily be able to forget what had happened. And it does not mean that what happened will still not cause you pain. Forgive and forget is largely aspirational. Uh, In other words, it's what we would love to have happen, but it doesn't always work out that way. Forgiveness does not always mean forgetfulness. The memory and the attendant pain 
will probably remain, though in God's mercy they often recede over time. Secondly, forgiveness does not remove the consequences of our sin either. We might be forgiven, we might extend forgiveness, but we still have to live with the results of the wrongdoing. I mean, you can understand it uh, simply, this kind of an example. If I drink too much, then get caught drink driving, I will lose my driver's license, probably my job, which also means my home, my boy's schooling. So That's pretty sobering, isn't it? Let's say that happens and I confess my sin to Carolyn and I ask her for her forgiveness and she gives it to me as she should. But my sin still causes a loss of license, job livelihood, home and schooling. Notwithstanding my forgiveness, I have to live with the consequences of my sin and so do many others. And that's true of forgiveness as the forgiven offender still have to live with the results of my sin and usually so do many others. Forgiveness does not erase that reality. Well, thirdly, forgiveness does not automatically rebuild trust. It opens the door to the possibility that trust might be restored, but it does not in itself rebuild trust. So husbands who flirt or wives who flirt with those who are not their spouses should not expect that when they ask for forgiveness, they can also insist on being trusted again immediately. You don't have that right. You have to earn that right by being trustworthy. And maybe that's by being a completely open book when it comes to your schedule, your movements, your technology. Maybe it means you have to install Find My Friends on your phone and her phone, his phone, so your spouse can always see where you are. You know, children who've deceived their parents shouldn't assume that they're they're trusted right away upon receiving their parents' forgiveness. To rebuild their trust, they might need to give their parents their passcode on their phones or something like that so that at any moment their parents can see what they've been up to or where they are or whatever it is. Forgiveness doesn't rebuild trust. The offender rebuilds trust over time by being trustworthy. And fourthly, forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. In fact, rarely does a relationship go back to where it was before the offence was committed, especially if we're talking about a serious matter. You might have relinquished your your right to revenge, but it's just too painful to restore that relationship, even though you hope and you pray for the best of the person who has offended against you. In God's goodness, sometimes it does equal reconciliation, but that is not a guarantee. And then fifthly and lastly, forgiveness may not be fitting where repentance is not offered. It may be the case that you are not required to forgive where the other party refuses to apologise. And look, I suggest this very tentatively for several reasons, the first of which is I could be wrong. But I think I could be right because in most of the biblical examples, forgiveness follows repentance. You think of our theme verse today, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And you know that God freely forgives only those who repent, who confess and who turn from their sins towards him in faith. Of course, forgiveness is rooted in God's gracious nature, but he doesn't hand it out indiscriminately. Humans receive it when they are penitent and will not receive God's forgiveness if they're willfully defiant. You might recall in the parable of the unmerciful servant, which is Jesus' answer to the question, how often shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? 
that the servant who owed the king a large sum and the servant who owed his fellow servant a much lesser sum both begged for mercy and patience. They repented. So you think if, if God forgives only those who repent, it seems odd he would ask us to do something that he himself won't do. But of course I could be wrong. I mean, even in our theme verse of the day, it doesn't say anything about repentance or apology, does it? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The emphasis here is just on forgiveness. It's not talking about um, a process. Even when it's talking about forgive as the Lord forgave you, maybe it's not talking about a process in which a person repents before receiving God's forgiveness. Perhaps the emphasis is just on the forgiveness itself. You have experienced God's greater forgiveness. It's a wonderful gift based on the perfectly obedient life and the sacrificial death of his son Jesus. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You've received God's greater forgiveness. Now, please extend your lesser forgiveness. So I could be wrong. But I I still think on balance that the scriptures don't require us to forgive those who willfully refuse to apologize or reconcile when lovingly confronted with their offense. But can I say that does not permit us to hate our brother or sister in our hearts? It may be that we somehow just release our pain, our grief, our hurt, our desire for revenge and to get even. We we release that to God and we entrust judgment to his perfect wisdom and justice. We say to God, God, I would... I would love to get vengeance, my payback against this person. Actually, Father, I would love to forgive this person, but they do not accept any wrongdoing. So I am releasing them from my vengeance, and I am entrusting them to your justice. And I am releasing the hurt and the hatred in my heart, for I know it will poison my own spirit. Turn me from a bitter believer into a better believer through this for if jesus says we are to bless those who persecute us and pray for our enemies at the very least we must release our hate and our hurt caused by a brother or sister who does not repent and we must seek their good instead as difficult as that might be So there are limitations to forgiveness. There they are, just in case it all sounds like a Disney movie in its description. It's costly, it's painful, and it's often limited. But I guess the question is, how might we go about it? What is a good process and some helpful pointers? And I think I'm talking both to offenders and those who have been offended where there is some acknowledgement that something's gone wrong. Uh, We can't deal with... All possible scenarios can't deal with the complexity of where you receive forgiveness but you honestly, soberly don't think you've done anything wrong or where you can't forgive yourself for deep, deep reasons when you've received forgiveness from either God or others. Let's just talk about garden variety, the most common ground level offence and forgiveness. And so firstly, as either the offended or the offender, test your offence or the offence against Scripture and bring the offence before God. You know, some things, some conflicts or grievances just don't need to be resolved. They need to be borne by one another. Isn't that what our verse says? Bear with one another and forgive one another. 
I wonder if you were intrigued uh, like me last week when Bruce quoted that Jewish marriage expert who discovered that about 70% of conflicts aren't resolved by married couples. Each spouse just helpfully navigates around them. That's bearing with one another. That's letting your bugbears be bugbears and not barriers. And sometimes we just need to absorb that sharp reply or accept the slightly cutting critique rather than escalate it to DEFCON 5 immediately. Sometimes we just need to develop a thicker skin and move on. As the offended person, you might be able to resolve a conflict before it happens by taking it to God first and then bearing it yourself. Of course, as the offender, you might actually decide that you have offended in such a way that it deserves an apology. And so, if that's you, firstly confess it to God and then confess it to the person you have offended. And you should try to give as full an apology as possible with as few caveats as possible. Dr. Gary Chapman, he's the, the five love languages guy. He also reckons there are five apology languages, very convenient such that people will only hear your apology if you express it in their apology language. And at the top of the chat field, I included a link to a questionnaire that will help you discover what your apology language is. Um, so you can have a look at that later. But briefly, here are the five languages of apology. The first is expressing regret, which typically includes the words, I am sorry for whatever it is. Uh, then there's accepting responsibility, which usually acknowledges that I made a mistake in what I did or didn't do. There is making restitution. How can I make this right? Could I do this for you? Would that make things better? There is genuinely repenting, by which Chapman means you undertake to do something so as to not repeat the offence next time. I'll try to learn from this. And then finally there's requ requesting forgiveness in which you actually have to say the words, can you forgive me? Please accept my apology. So five languages of apology, and maybe there's even more. But here's the thing, right? Unless the person has done the profile themselves and supplied the answers to you, you, you won't know their apology language necessarily. So you'll likely have to offer a full apology that includes many or all of these. Well, Colossians 3 verse 12 bids us to clothe ourselves with humility amongst other things. And I reckon you would experience that if you offer such an apology. So, as far as the steps go, firstly, take it to God via scripture and in prayer. If you determine that a legitimate offence has been committed, you offer a full apology. And then thirdly, if you receive a full apology, you accept it and offer forgiveness. You express outwardly and verbally that you have forgiven them and you resolve inwardly not to harbour hatred or a grudge. That is how you bear with one another and forgive one another, forgiving just as the Lord forgave you. Now, how about a few other practical pointers um, about forgiveness before we finish by thinking, what's at stake if we don't forgive? Well, first practical pointer is sort it out soon. If you've been convicted of something, even as we've been talking about it today, sort it out with your spouse, your children, your friends, Christian brother or sister. Sort it out and do it today or this week, but do it. 
Secondly, it's probably safe to assume that you have contributed something to a conflict or a fallout or a broken relationship. It's not always the case. Uh, sometimes you might have only contributed 2% to the problem, but let's assume that it's possible you might have done something unhelpful there. And if that's the case, own it and apologise for that, even if it's just 2%. Thirdly, assume that even a harsh critic might have something to teach you. If God can speak through an ass, then he can speak through an unlikable person to you. So let your critic be a coach if you can. Fourthly, assume that you will be defensive whenever somebody confronts you, even if it's done lovingly. And do your best, difficult as it is, to try to listen without interruption and aim to be slow to rationalise or justify yourself. Fifthly, don't assume you know everything. You may not have read everything about that situation correctly. You may not know everything that was going on for the other person. Not being God and knowing everything, you probably don't accurately know what that other person deserves either. And then lastly, you might need to bring somebody else in, but I would say do that as a last resort, not as a first resort when you cannot see eye to eye. And that person could be somebody who's respected by both sides and eventually, finally, it might even have to be a church leader. But I would say beware of it also escalating into a tribal conflict where it's not just he said, she said, it's he and his mates said and she and her mates said. Remember the goal is forgiveness, if not reconciliation, rather than winning. And that's not always helped by introducing others into the mix especially if they've only heard your version of events. It just requires wisdom and care and love, doesn't it? Well, this brings us to our final brief point. What's at stake if we don't forgive one another? Surely our own relationships and our communal life together. Don't we want to be a community of people who don't give up on each other and who really champion second chances surely our own spirits are jeopardized if we don't forgive when asked or we don't ask for forgiveness when we've wronged others or when we allow bitterness or hard-heartedness to take root isn't there something askew with the forgiveness we've received from god if we cannot forgive others is it not the case that a lack of forgiveness in us towards others indicates a lack of repentance before god and we know that we must repent in order to be forgiven by god is it not the case that we have been forgiven much by God? Therefore, we have both an example and the empowerment to forgive others. And I know I said at the beginning that forgiveness involves loss, but when it's all tallied up, we do not come out as losers when we forgive others. And lastly, not only does forgiveness or the lack thereof give a window into our own hearts, it gives a watching world a window into the gospel and the faith that we profess before others. That at the heart of what we believe is a God who would voluntarily suffer loss for the sake of human beings who have offended him, but whom he nevertheless loved so much. Bear with one another and forgive each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Amen.
everyone. Thank you, Scott, for a wonderful message. Very significant area of forgiveness. And very timely this morning, we're going to turn to the Lord's Supper and remember the forgiveness that God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's hear those words again uh, from Colossians chapter 3, which are so significant. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's what we are now remembering, how the Lord has forgiven us. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so although we are completely unworthy before God because of our sins in his great love for us, and in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting love, uh, life, our Saviour Christ humbled himself to share our life and to die for our sins on the cross. And so in humility and to prepare our hearts before our wonderful Heavenly Father, let us pray this prayer of confession, acknowledging our need of Jesus' death for our own sins. That prayer is going to come up on the screen now. And so let's pray together in humility. Together. Most merciful God, we humbly admit that we need your help. We confess that we have wandered from your way. We have done wrong and we have failed to do what is right. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us, wipe out our sins, and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit, that we may live as disciples of Christ. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. The Bible is full of hope and assurance for those who confess their sins about the reality of God's forgiveness. And I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness, unrighteousness. And that is the great promise of God that we find at the cross that we're remembering. And so we thank our Heavenly Father that in his love and mercy, he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us. And by this offering, once and for all time of himself, Jesus made the perfect, complete sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, satisfying God's just demands in full. And Jesus commanded us to remember his death until he's coming again. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread in his hands, he gave thanks and he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup into his hands. He gave you thanks and then he gave it, to him, gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so hopefully you've got your bread and your juice or your wine ready. And we're now going to stop and eat and drink and remember exactly what Christ has done for us so many years ago to purchase our forgiveness before God. Deborah's going to join with me. So let's take our bread and uh, I'm going to break it. And let's remember that Christ's body was broken for us. And so take and eat and remember his love for you this day in Jesus' name. That was quite a big mouthful I took. Take the cup and drink 
And remember, Christ's blood was shed for all of our sins so that we can be completely forgiven. And rejoice and find assurance in that. Let's drink. Let me pray for us before we say the Lord's Prayer. Father, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine and that they are just tangible reminders of your love for us in Christ and the forgiveness that was purchased for us through Jesus' broken body and shed blood. Fill our hearts with joy and confidence and assurance in your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's together finish with the words of the Lord's Prayer. Together, they're on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. It's been a great morning, Deb. It has indeed. Now, you've got a few things you wanted to say before we finish. Well, I wanted to, uh, if any of you noticed in the chat that uh, Scott referenced an article, um, it's a Apology Languages Personal Profile. So it is possible to print it out. If you can't do that, please contact the office. Send a, a Connect card that you'll find in the thing or ring up Kathy in the office and we'll get one sent out to you so that you can do that. And the other thing I'd like to say is thank you for being with us today. There have been so many people in the chat. It was a great message from Scott today. And someone actually says they've never heard a sermon on forgiveness, which is pretty sad, isn't it? But that's wonderful. And love and prayers from various places. And great settings from the tech team. Thank you, tech team. Really need to thank you. It is a, it is a big pressure for them and they do do a great job. And the other thing I'd like to say is goodbye from me prayers for this week that you would know the joy of God's forgiveness and be enabled in your own hearts to acknowledge your own offences and apologise but also to extend forgiveness to those who have offended you. So I think that's it from me. God bless you this week. And I'm going to finish with the words of the blessing uh, from Numbers. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.